Well, let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word today, we're thankful for this little passage that comes to us after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's helpful, it's instructive. We pray that it might be so for us this morning. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Internet sites like Answers.com and Google estimate that about 40 to 50,000 new questions are asked online every day. I don't know if you've done it yourself. It's very sometimes very helpful. You get a quick answer when you type into Google uh, the question that you need to know and it won't give you an answer if it doesn't know. Some of the questions that are being asked fall into the category of life's unanswerable questions. And these include some of the following, which you may have heard or you may know of others. Questions like these. If you enjoy wasting time, is it a waste of time? If you try to fail and succeed, what have you done? Why is it necessary to nail down the lid of a coffin? Think about it. And if the police arrest a mime, do they tell him he has the right to remain silent? There are plenty more. Uh, but this morning, this morning, the question that will be before us is one that I hope will be answerable. A question that came from the lips of the Lord Jesus, addressed directly to the Apostle Peter. Our text is John 21. It's a post-Easter message that demands our attention. It tells an event between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus while he was still upon the earth and it tells how one of the apostles, Peter, met with the risen Jesus and had this question put to him three times in a row. Peter, or Simon, son of John to be exact, do you love me? Now before we get to how Peter responded and the details concerning the question and its context, let me ask a question of my own. Why was it that Jesus put Peter through all of this in the first place? After all, what had been said and done had been said and done, hadn't it? Didn't Peter find the forgiveness of Jesus when the Lord looked at him in Luke's Gospel just after the rooster had crowed? And wasn't that the end of the matter? Well, it was. And it wasn't. Yes, Peter's heart was broken as the Lord looked at him and he repented of his sin. But as far as we are told in the scriptures, after the resurrection, Jesus and Peter had not spoken about his terrible failure. And if it doesn't get mentioned, then it will be like in the elephant in the room, won't it? And it's not because Jesus doesn't love Peter that he raises the issue. It's because Jesus loves Peter that he raises the issue. You see, love doesn't ignore sin. Love doesn't pretend sin is not there. Love doesn't find ways to paper over or mask sin. The world does. The world excuses it and plays it down, it tries to cover it and hide it and conceal it and minimise its importance, but not Jesus. 
He wants to nail it, which he did, of course, on the cross. So the question was asked, do you love me? Note with me this morning these things about the question. First note from verses 1 to 14 that the question was put in a setting that Peter could recognise. Peter had been out fishing and had laboured away all night in wasted effort. It's not really clear from the text why Peter went fishing, whether it was he was bored or because he loved fishing. Either way, what we do know is that this stranger on the beach directed him where to put his net and the size of the catch that eventuated was enough to convince Peter that it was none other than Jesus standing there on the beach. Without hesitation, he flung himself into the sea, obviously to swim, to swim ashore, and no doubt dripping wet and almost not believing what he was seeing, sat down at the invitation of the master. The detail that John records about the scene includes the fact that on the beach there's a fire and the fire's burning. And I'm sure that John recorded this detail because, not because the fire on the beach broke council bylaws. Rather, here was a scene deliberately set up by Jesus to take Peter back to the night in which he had betrayed Jesus and denied Jesus so badly. And on the beach by this fire that Jesus proceeds to ask this question, this same question, and then one more time after that to give Peter opportunity to make amends for the three harsh denials that happened as he sat near another fire and denied even knowing his Lord. And no doubt with those words ringing in his ears that we thought upon a few weeks ago, even though all shall fall away, Jesus, I will never fall away. In fact, I'm willing to lay down my life for your sake. If you've ever spoken up hastily and lived to regret what you've said, then you'll know something of how Peter felt how he must have regretted making such a vow without knowing the state of his heart. So for Jesus to speak to Peter in these circumstances, in this way, with this question, was a very real attempt by Jesus to address his failure. And he did it ever so gently without directly addressing the failure, didn't he? He was direct by being indirect in this circumstance. He knew that Peter had done wrong, but without ever drawing upon Peter's, upon Peter's embarrassing failure, without ever excusing him from it, Jesus touched the wound and by these questions sought to heal the wound ever so gently. Second note in verses 15 to 16, that the question was put in a manner that Peter could consider Sometimes asking questions of someone is useful for not only extracting information like, can you please tell me where the toilet might be, but also to get the person you are asking the question of to do some serious thinking. So, how are you coping with the loss of your job, with the death of your friend, and so on? Obviously, the way a question is put can have far-reaching implications. Here, note what Jesus did not ask Peter. Had he been an impatient master 
Or an unloving friend to Peter, he may have said to Peter, why did you let me down? Why did you deny me? Or, are you sorry? Yes? Really? Such a line of questioning might well have brought Peter undone and brought back that flow of tears. But here on the beach, by the breakfast fire, Jesus knew that whatever Peter had promised to do had been way beyond him. He knew that Peter was destined to fall from the moment he opened his mouth and he knew also that the only reason that Peter had not fallen away was because Jesus had, he himself, had prayed for him that his faith would not completely fail. See, in asking this question, Jesus had restoration in mind. Though Peter had let Jesus down, he was now being invited to receive grace for his failure. Such is the Lord we serve, who acts in grace to those who blow it. I'm one who can identify with Peter as having blown it. Maybe not in dramatic circumstances as Peter did with the rooster crowing. Are you? And you identify with Peter in this way? Have you never failed the Lord in some way? Perhaps you are hanging back on a commitment that you've made to him. You need to put what is wrong and put it right. The Lord is willing to meet his servants where they are, at the point of need, and is willing and wanting to welcome back people who fail and yet mourn over that failure. Sins confessed and repented are sins forgiven. Such is the nature of grace that flows from the one who died for his people to show them the full extent of his love. Third, from verses 18 and 19, note that this question was put for a purpose that Jesus intended. Had Jesus said nothing at all to Peter about his failure, That would have left Peter in a quandary of where he stood in awkward silence. Yet on the other hand, to turn around and blow the incident up could have had a drastic effect. The question had to be asked, didn't it? It had to be asked in the presence of other disciples so that Jesus, so that Peter could reaffirm his love for Jesus and Peter himself could be reaffirmed. But above all, it had to be asked because it's the question that lies at the heart of all that Peter was about to do in the service of his master. That's why the text also gives us clear hints as to what Jesus sought from Peter in asking the question. For the text goes on to indicate in verses 18 and 19 that loving Jesus was going to cost Peter his life. In fact, Peter would end up doing what he promised he would do before the cross. Didn't he promise that he would never deny Jesus and that he would die for him? He did. And now by asking this question of Peter, Jesus is preparing him for the fact that he would die for him. You are going to die for me, Peter. And by asking this question of Peter, he wanted him to be sure that he truly loved him. He sought from him a kind of love that wasn't going to be an ordinary kind of love, but a particular kind of love. Let's note what kind of love it was. For a start, it would be a love that's highest in priority. 
That is, a love for Jesus that would be greater than a love for anything or anyone else. Remember how Jesus summed up the commandments into two, first being, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love for God is what Jesus taught should be our first priority. And love for him as first priority will mean that we have no other gods before him, the very first commandment in self. In Peter's situation, when Jesus first asked, do you love me? His words were really, do you love me more than these? Now what were the these that Jesus was referring to? He may have looked around at all the fishing equipment that Peter loved so much. If that was the case, Jesus was asking, do you love me more than your boat, your nets and your other fishing gear? Most fishermen I know are keen on checking their fishing gear, going through it again and again just to make sure everything's working perfectly. And they get very attached to their fishing gear. The same is true for many other pursuits. It's nothing new for people to love their possessions more than they love the Lord. The truth becomes evident as they desert the things of the Lord in order to keep up with their possessions. And when it comes to a clash between the demands of their possessions and the demands of Christ, it all comes down to priorities. What do you love the most? Or Jesus could have been looking around at the other disciples when he said, do you love me more than these? In that case, he would have meant, do you love me more than these closest friends? Or more than they love me? Do you love me more than they do? How many times have you seen a spouse desert the Lord because their husband or wife isn't part of serving Christ? How many times have you seen young people get their eyes on a boyfriend or a girlfriend and totally desert the things of God in order to pursue a relationship? And we hear Jesus say in Matthew 10, he who loves father or mother or more than me is not worthy of me and He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And in Luke he extends that to brothers and sisters and he extends that even to your own life. He who loves himself more than me is not worthy of me. Is there any person, is there any place, is there anything that you put ahead of Jesus? There's nothing wrong with relationships. The issue is Who comes first? Jesus sought from Peter a love that was unparalleled, a love that had no rival, a love that was greater than a love for anyone else. Not leftovers, not scraps, but the best of what he could bring for his master. Love the highest priority. Then Jesus sought from Peter a love revealed by deeds. Each time Jesus asked Peter this question, he followed up Peter's claim to love him with some responsibility to fulfil. First three saying, feed my lambs. Second, tend my sheep. Third, feed my sheep. What Jesus meant by these sayings is pretty clear. Peter was given a responsibility for the care and the shepherding of the Lord's flock, both his little ones, the lambs, as well as those who are mature age, the sheep. Jesus expected this love that Peter claimed for him would be revealed, therefore, in Peter's deeds. 
and those deeds were to be feeding or tending the flock. As an apostle, Peter was to be a pastor of the people of God and to serve them, not to rule over them as a lord or a tyrant. By calling Peter to feed and tend the sheep, Jesus was asking Peter to step into my shoes and do as I've been doing. Feed my sheep. Lead them as I would lead them. Feed them as I would feed them. Then Jesus expected a love from Peter that would last his whole life. When Jesus asked Peter these questions, it was in the context, as we've seen, of what lay in Peter's future and what lay ahead in Peter's future was a martyr's death. Peter would be led where he did not want to go. And verse 19 reminds us this was very much in Jesus' mind and on his heart. This, he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. In one sense, I feel totally inadequate to ask you if you would be willing to die for Christ because obviously none of us have ever had the opportunity or the requirement. Few 21st century Western Christians have, had they? One was a young person in 1999. You might remember the story at Columbine High School who was shot and killed in that terrible massacre. She was asked the question by her killer, Are you a Christian? The girl looked down the barrels of the guns, pointed at her and said, Yes, I'm a Christian. If we get to the heart of what Jesus is telling Peter, we need to ask the question, Would you be willing to die for him, even if at gunpoint? Frankly, I want to believe that if I were called upon to die for the Lord, I would be willing, I would say, absolutely, take it. Perhaps if my faith continues to grow in that direction, there can be more certainty of that every day. For some, though, I think it's a foolish question because how could a person say that they're willing to die for Christ if they're not really willing to live for Christ? There's no, talk, there's no point in talking about university when you haven't graduated from kindergarten. Actually, the question of Peter dying for Jesus may be at the root of Peter's reluctance to use the same word in the Greek that Jesus used. There are some differences, of course, in the Greek and English language. And one is, as we've said before, the Greek has more than one word for love. We can say we love chocolate, we love our parents, we love God, and each of those statements we use the same word, but not so in the Greek. Jesus first asked Peter, do you love me with an unconditional love? Peter's reply was, Lord, you know I have affection for you. Jesus' next question was the same. Peter, do you love me with an unconditional love? And his second reply was, Lord, you know that I have true affection for you. Then Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you have this affection for me? To which Peter responded, Lord, you know that I have this true affection for you. Peter never once claimed to have love for Jesus of the quality, the high quality that Jesus asked him for. 
He knew that the last time he claimed anything for himself, he failed to deliver it. So what he did was claim a friendship love for his master, the love of friend to friend. But also note here that Jesus did not say to him, Peter, why don't you love me like I love you? Why don't you meet my demands? Why don't you rise above what you've got? Jesus accepted Peter's offer of affection, knowing that Peter spoke the truth. And the truth was that Peter could aspire to nothing higher than what he said. In other words, there was nothing false about what Peter said to Jesus. And isn't that what he seeks from you? Not a claim to love him because everybody else does, or because we know it's your duty, but love that is the real thing, whatever heights it can reach, maybe not as great or as deep as it could or it should be, but as long as it's real, it's acceptable and it's been accepted. What then about us? All this might be fine for Peter, but we need to think about the question for ourselves. We're, we who are not all that different from Peter, Disciples who lack courage, who fall short despite best intentions and promises. The question he asked Peter, of course, is for us. It shouldn't surprise us because if love drove him to the full extent of the cross to purchase salvation, then it follows that nothing less than love will be what he wants in response. What loving bride or husband would be satisfied with anything less than the love of their spouse in return? What loving parent would be satisfied with anything less than the love of their own children? So it is with the Lord who loved us to the limit of how we measure love, that what he seeks is love in response. We love because he loved us first. So how did you do? And these things that define the love that Jesus sought from Peter... Are they descriptive of the love that you have for him? Or at least you aspire to these things. If not, let this challenge be one this post-Easter time to love our Saviour as he has and does love us because in the end responding to this question is what really counts. And this must be the first step of many that we have to come back to time and time and time again in following the Lord Jesus It begins with loving him. Loving him because deep within you know that he came into the world to save sinners and you can add with the Apostle Paul, of whom I am the worst. Loving him because you know that he lived and died to restore you, not because you are worthy, but because he is gracious. Loving him because this is the response that he seeks And this response that he seeks will fit you for service in his name. Love for him, because he first loved you. John Calvin used to close his letters with a seal. It was a crudely drawn picture of a hand holding a heart. And that became the basis for the motto that came to characterise Calvin and his writings. My heart, O Lord, I offer to you. Promptly and sincerely. My heart, O Lord, I offer to you. Promptly and sincerely. 
However, said this to the Lord Jesus, Lord, here is my heart. Here is my life. Here is me. It's yours. And I live in response to the love you have for me. I ask the question because the question needs to be asked. And I ask because that's what it means to belong to and to follow him, to love because he first loved you. Is that where you're at this morning? Will you make that your prayer? My heart, O Lord, I offer to you promptly and sincerely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring you thanks for your word. We thank you for this wonderful insight into what happened, revealed to us by the gospel writer, something we would never know unless we were told. And of course we're told for this purpose, that we too might respond in the way that Peter ought to have responded and did. Lord, I love you. May this be our prayer today. Here's my heart, Lord. I offer it to you promptly and sincerely. Help me. Help me to love you more. Hear us as we all think about this one and put ourselves in Peter's shoes and put ourselves in our own shoes and realise that the Lord Jesus asks that of us every day. With grateful thanks, we come to praise you for loving us, loving us first, loving us when we were ugly and outside of your kingdom, asking that we would love you in return and then, of course, love your people and love others. We ask all this in your wonderful name. Amen.